As you're opening your your Bibles to where we're going to be, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, continuing on there in Paul's letter to the Galatians, verses 16 to 18 this morning. Excellent, excellent. I think I announced uh, Jim as a hand router, but it's Derek Aiken. So either way, just wave your hands around and someone's going to notice and get you hooked up. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Have y'all ever experienced a time when you knew what the right thing to do was, but you didn't know how to do it? You know, you know it's like someone says, hey, you need to go do X. And you're like, I, I agree with you. I just don't know how. So a couple examples. The first time you had to change a flat tire. You may have felt slightly unprepared for that event. Not knowing where the wrenches were in your vehicle, where the jack was. You may have realized that your spare tire was actually flat as well. You know the right thing to do, get better tire on car, don't know how to do it. Another example could be you have a, an immediate flowing leak of water in your house. You know that water's got to be turned off. You know that somewhere near the street there's a box that should have a thing that allows you to turn the water off, but that's about where your knowledge stops. Or you may have thought, I need to get control of my finances, we're making a budget. And that's where the, how do you get your hands and arms around something like that? Those are all three bigger scenarios that hopefully you feel have some urgency to them. Like I should fix, I should get the water turned off. I should change that tire. I should get control of those things, of my finances. But a fourth scenario I'd run by your mind is like, have you ever been tempted to sin and not known how to get past it. Not knowing what do I do? How do I avoid this? How do I get out of this? How do I not even get into this in the first place? And that scenario is where we're going to get some awesome instruction from God's word from Paul's letter to the Galatians this morning. This is where we rejoin the Galatians as they're reading Paul's letter as we're experiencing it with them. They've been freed from slavery to sin. We've studied that. They've been freed from paganism that they were in. Not all of the believers in Galatia were Jews that become Christians. And they've been freed from performing the law. Paul's made that expressly clear in this letter, that they do not need to perform the law to be saved, that their acceptance by Christ is by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. And that's it. That's where your acceptance, your welcoming, your adoption, that's where it all hinges on. It hinges on Christ and his work and not on anything that we could possibly do, specifically in the church of Galatia, circumcision. But if we pause and think, we could probably think of a a few lists of things that we try to do today to determine our favor with God and to say, yeah, I'm in a good spot with God because I've done X, Y, or Z lately. But the problem with all this freedom that Craig walked us to last week is that you now have all this freedom is you, you have to choose what you're going to do with it. And the Galatians were struggling. If you look just back a couple verses, verse 13 to 15, we'll see what they were struggling with. In verse 13, we see one of them. It says, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there were these opportunities to serve themselves, to serve their flesh, to do what their sinful flesh wanted to do, and they were struggling with taking those. In verse 15... We see what they were also struggling with. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. They were also struggling with how they related to one another in their church. Those words of bite and then devour and then consumed, that is an escalating path of destruction. And they were, they were struggling with how do they relate to one another in this new freedom? How do they relate to God in this new freedom? How do they obey They have this liberty in Christ. Do they pursue their flesh with license now that they're liberated? Do they pursue um, their own wants and desires no matter who's around them? Or do they choose to obey? And Paul's going to give us three instructions this morning from Galatians 16 to 18 that that aided the Galatians and and is going to aid us. Bless you. Is going to aid us to follow Christ and not our flesh. So let's look at our text. We're going to go to verses 16 to 18 now of Galatians chapter 5. And it reads, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The theme of today's section, the theme of Galatians, is justification by grace alone through faith alone. But the theme of our verses today is that if you're free in Christ, you walk by and you are led by the Holy Spirit not your flesh. If you're free in Christ, you walk by and you are led by, this, led by the Spirit, not the flesh. Pray with me, please, as we start studying God's Word. Father, studying this passage of your Word makes it very clear to do a few things. As Lord, we praise you, number one. We praise you that you have saved through your Son, Jesus Christ. And with that salvation, you have uh, as we'll study, you have provided the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit inside of us and dwelling us, living in us. And we'll study this morning how he helps us, as you promised. Lord Jesus, you said while you were on earth that you, you must go so that the helper can come. And uh, Lord, we praise you that you are fulfilling all of your promises and specifically in the fact that you have given us the Holy Spirit, the helper, as we study him this morning. Well, we also need to come to you and realize that in our sinful flesh, Lord, we try to depend on ourselves or anything or any series of actions. It's a temptation to us to depend on anything but your Holy Spirit and your word to live obediently before you, to live cheerfully and free before you. Uh, Lord, help us to realize that this morning. Open our hearts and show us the ways that we do that. And then, Lord, reorient and renew our minds to the truth of your word, which is to walk by your spirit is to depend solely on the power that you have indwelled in us, the Holy Spirit, to walk before you righteously. Lord, help us to understand all these things. And then lastly, Lord, help us to be encouraged as we walk. This life is difficult. These temptations that we face, these trials that you allow in our lives, they're hard. And uh, Lord, we, we, we acknowledge the wisdom of your providence of putting us in these places when it's trial. And we acknowledge the faults of our own sin when we are tempted and fall into sin. Lord, we ask for your help to encourage us and strengthen us to walk before you this morning after, as we study your word. We pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start with our first instruction, which is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I've labeled that instruction, be resolute in following com the command of God or God's command. Be resolute in following God's command. And it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Our text starts with, but I say. So there's something that he's referring back to. There's something that he's saying in contrast to. So we have to find that out. What is he contrasting when he says, but I say, as opposed to what you may be thinking or what's happening around you? And we looked at that already just a little bit this morning. That verses 13 to 15 gives us that insight. They've been freed, verse 13 says. They've been called to freedom. Um, they're in Christ together. They are brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ together. Some have been saved out of paganism, where they were locally, and all of the rituals that were there. They're trying to serve pagan gods. Some of them saved out of, Christian, uh, out of Judaism. And uh, they're trying to then diverge themselves. Well, how does it work with the law and then freedom in Christ and we know their struggle, the main one we've been talking about, is a certain group of people has come in and said, if you really want to be a true Christian and really follow Christ, you have to do something. This so I'm going to ask you for review, see if your minds are awake at 9-11 on a Sunday morning. Who are the people that have come in trying to disturb the Galatians in their faith? I heard it. The Judaizers. People that have come in, and we studied that for the last few months, we, they came in without the authority of the church, without the authority of Paul. They came in saying, no, no, listen to us. We know what we're talking about. This is what you have to do. And they were disturbing them. Paul says early in Galatians, and he says, who has bewitched you? Who's, someone's really getting into your head that this is important. And they're asking them to do something very specifically. For you to follow Christ really well, you have to do something. What do they have to do, these Judaizers are saying? Be circumcised, right? Be circumcised. You have to follow a letter of the law. If you really want to say you're a Christian, you have to do this work. You have to do this activity. Otherwise, it's not. 
uh, it's, it's not available to you. And, and he, they add on that work of circumcision to faith in Christ. And it struck me so, so much last Sunday when Craig quoted this from the commentator Hendrickson that I wanted to say it again. It says, Hendrickson said, a Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. You add anything to Christ and you are into a different version of the gospel. Because the truth of the gospel is that Christ saved us alone. And we are saved by faith alone and him alone and nothing else has in there. But these Galatians were struggling with this freedom. They were giving way to the flesh. They were biting, devouring, consuming one another. And they were giving opportunity to the flesh. So Paul says, but instead of living that way, but I say, and here's our command, walk by the Spirit. This, this verb to walk or this command to walk is present tense, right? So it's continuous. It's from now ongoing. It never stops. And it's in the imperative mood, which means it is a command of God. It's not an invitation. It's not something to consider. It's not something that, hey, thank you for that good bit of life wisdom. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll mull that over and see what I do with it. It's a command. Walk by the Spirit. So if you're about to take a journey, like a hiking trip, you're going for a week in the mountains or wherever you might choose to go as a hiking trip, what are some of the things you would consider to be ready to go on that long walk? Shoes, footwear, what's right? What else? Water supply. Bring some, have some, locate some, yeah. Food sources. A compass so you can know what? Where you're going is a good place to start, right? So it's to know, hey, where am I trying to go? And some of them isn't over here. A backpack, the thing to carry supplies in, right? If you think we're painting the story of a pilgrim's progress, it's a really good mental imagery of where we're going. This is what's happening, right? But yeah, if you're going on a long journey, you're going to consider all those things. Where am I going? How long is it going to take me to get there? What are the toll gates or the markers that are let me know I'm on the way and I'm not diverting from the path, right? What are my supplies going to be? Food, water, clothing. What am I going to be able to depend on to be able to make it? And that's the right mindset. When you say go walk somewhere, Paul's commanding the Galatians, walk. And the one thing he gives them to walk with is the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. On this journey of a Christian life, our required supply, singular, is the Holy Spirit. But before you walk by the Holy Spirit, before you have the Holy Spirit, you have to know how do you get him anyway? How does he come into your life anyway? And Paul has been clear in a couple verses back in chapter 3, verses 2 and verse 5. He was asking the Galatians questions to remind them of how did, he, how did, this come, how did the Holy Spirit come into their life in the first place? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? In verse 5, he asks him another rhetorical question. He says, so then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? We're seeing the answer to the question of how do I get the Holy Spirit is by hearing with faith. Another letter that Paul wrote, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 so it sheds a little bit more light on that how. He says, he saved us, Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Now it adds that we have to be regenerated, which brings up an idea, a presupposition. If you have to be regenerated, you have to be brought back to life, it means you were dead. You were dead. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 tells us we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And a believer has realized that. They've realized that, hey, on my own, if I'm going to make myself right with God, that's impossible. Why? Because I'm dead in my sin. I cannot overcome this burden of sin on my own. I cannot. There's, it's impossible. And at that, at that juncture of impossibility, at that lowest of lows, is where the Holy Spirit draws us into a relationship by faith with him and helps us see the truth of the gospel, which is that, yes, God is holy. Yes, he created everything. And yes, we have a sin problem. A big sin problem, one that will terminate in God's perfect justice towards sin through wrath, but one that he has also before time made a plan of redemption for through his son, Jesus Christ, which any believer has participated in, they have repented of their sins. They have placed their faith solely in Christ alone, who lived the perfect life we could never live, and then died on the cross, taking all of God's just wrath for our sin and paid it 
satisfied it, propitiated it, as Dusty's been saying out of Hebrews. And it's satisfied, it's done. Psalm 103 paints the picture that your sin is as far away from you as far as the east is, east is from the west. And that is a beautiful picture. At that moment where that Christian, where that happens in a Christian's life, they've repented of their sins, they've placed their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates them. And if we're going to have the Holy Spirit and we're going to walk by the Holy Spirit, then we should probably know the Holy Spirit. So this morning, in just point one, we're going to use the bulk of our time as we continue in this to know who the Holy Spirit is so that we can be encouraged, we can obey the commands, we can be supported, we can do all the things that the Holy Spirit promises to do. I love that part in John when Jesus promises that a helper is going to come. I have to go away so that the helper can come. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. So let's spend a little minute, well, let's spend a few minutes defining who the Holy Spirit is because it's going to take us a little bit. So let's start with who he is. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the triune Godhead. He's active in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. He was there and let us create, let us make God and make man in our own image. He's there in creation. He's there all the way into Revelation. He's there bookended in the Old Testament. He's there bookended in the New Testament. He was with Christ when he was on earth. He baptized Christ. He encouraged Christ. He led Christ. He empowered Christ. He was involved in the resurrection of Christ. He's active in the world today. He restrains sin. It's not as bad as it could be because he's active in his restraining of sin. And most aligned to our text today, he's indwelled in every believer in this room and every believer across Christ's church, across this whole world. John 15, 26, I referenced that earlier. It says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. He teaches us about Christ. And in John verse 16, chapter 16, verse 7, he references this helper again. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We have an amazing helper. Helper is too small of a word. So let's dive deeper into what that means to have the Holy Spirit as our helper. We talked about that moment of salvation a little bit earlier. We talked about the gospel. At the moment of salvation, three things happen in lightning lockstep. We talked about we're regenerated. We were dead in our sins. And he makes us alive. He does another thing that gives us a lot of hope. He baptizes us into the body of Christ, the, the global universal body of Christ. We're all one in Christ. Verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And that reference is having the Holy Spirit. He seals us. If you've ever thought, and it's, I understand the thought, if, I, if, if you ever have the thought where you doubt your salvation, if you ever have it, this is a verse to memorize. Because he sealed your salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, that's the gospel, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession his people, to the praise of his glory. We are sealed in him. The Holy Spirit is our pledge of promise of a future inheritance, which speaks to the idea, if I'm, if I'm going to inherit something, I'm part of a family. And if I'm part of a family, whose family is it? It's God's family. I'm adopted into his family. If you're looking for encouragement and you're looking for how can I stand strong in this world, this is where we start building that foundation from. Because the Holy Spirit has sealed and indwelled me. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You may or may not have the practice of dwelling a lot on what it means that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, believer. My encouragement to you is to invoke that practice, to get good at that skill, because it changes everything. We are walking by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
We have the Holy Spirit residing in us. He is our pledge, our promise. He's so much more. So let's talk about what he does in our lives post-salvation. This one, uh, I love all of these, but this one is a personal favorite. Is He illuminates our mind with the mind of Christ. Every time I feel stuck, every time I feel like I don't know what to do, every, and we go to the scripture, and then you go to the scripture and you read God's word, and he instructs you on what to do, and by faith you follow it. That's an amazing, glorious occasion. Every time, and it always inspires us. Like, and I, I knew, I, in my life, it typically is followed by the statement, why didn't I go to God's word first? Right? It's like, why did that not, it would have been so much better if we started there. Why? Because he illuminates our mind with the mind of Christ. If you're, if you want to see, if, if it helps you to turn, I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 10 to 13 and also verse 16. And this reads, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Did you catch that? The reality is you know yourself better than anybody else, right? You've heard that phrase said, well, I know myself better than anybody. Or you've thought, I can't know the heart of man, but we know our own hearts. We know. But at the end of verse 11, it says, who knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God? And then verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. We can praise the Holy Spirit that he gives us the mind of Christ through his work inside of us. And in verse 16, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We're not alone. You're not drifting out there. I hope you figure it out. Right? The Holy Spirit has indwelled us. He illuminates our minds. But he does so much more with the word. He says he fills us. He fills us and he empowers us. This idea is what influence is controlling you? We already talked about the indwelling. The indwelling is done, set, permanent. This is a filling. Like if you think about pouring water in a cup. The more you put water in the cup, the more it's full. Right? It's that concept. It's just what are you putting in the cup? Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The contrast there is that you're under the influence of something. You're always under the influence of something. But what is it? If we're going to walk by the Spirit, the influence that's controlling and, and working through us needs to be Him, the Holy Spirit. In a parallel passage in Colossians, he expands the idea, well, what is it that fills us? Yes, the Holy Spirit, but how do we, how do we get that? In Colossians 3.16, the first phrase there says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So we know that he illuminates our minds. We have the mind of Christ. And then he commands us, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Be filled, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but he empowers us. And yes, we're bouncing all over the New Testament. You can't do the Holy Spirit without bouncing all over the New Testament. So get the page-turning action going. In Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3.16 is where we see he empowers us. And I love this. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. According to what? Riches of his glory. Is that a finite resource or an infinite resource? Infinite is the right word. Yes. The riches of Christ's glory. It's according to that that he does the rest of the verse. He says, to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So he illuminates us. He illuminates our mind with Christ. He fills us. He empowers us to do the things that God would call us to do. He also is responsible for producing the fruit in our lives. I'm not going to steal two weeks' thunder. But if you wanted to know what that fruit looked like, you would look further down in chapter 5, past verse 21, it's a hint, and you would see the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll study that. But he is involved in bringing that about in our lives. And then to live the Christian life, we need the ability to serve him. And he's also responsible for handing us gifts to be able to serve in the church. 
This is who we are dealing with when Paul commands the Galatians to say, walk by the Spirit. Not walk on your own, not walk by the flesh, but walk by the Spirit. That walking is a command to us to go and do. And every believer will. We saw that the power behind the walking and around the walking and in front of the walking, all of that is the Holy Spirit. So how do we balance this walking with by the Holy Spirit? We balance it by recognizing that as a believer, I have a new nature and I can walk forward in obedience to God's word and he calls me and commands me to put forth every effort to do it, all that I can muster. But if you left me there, I would have no hope because I still sin. I'm not perfect. But God being perfect and his plan of redemption being perfect didn't leave us alone. He gave us that helper and that's the Holy Spirit. And he's doing all the things that we just looked at to move us forward, the Christian life, to give us everything we need on that journey. And a good balancing scripture passage that helps us understand this is Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. It balances it out for us. It says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Go do the work. Put forth the effort. Do it with the right reverence to God. Do it with the right understanding of what God has done for you in your life. But go put forth the work. But then verse 13 brings all of that support and power back into it. It says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God that's doing the work. We're doing the work. God provides all the fuel and all the pull and all the push we need to keep going and to make it. And remember, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He's our pledge, our promise. He's not going to let us go. He's not going to let you go. He's going to pull, push, prod, discipline, everything we need to move us forward. But he's never going to let us go. So I want to take a moment and look at a passage in Romans that's going to tell us and answer the question you might be thinking, I was, how do I do that? Great, walk by the Spirit. Good. How do I do that? How do I walk? And so go to Romans chapter 13, verse 14. And this verse really helps us succinctly understand how to do that. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So we see two things happening here. We see, how do we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we're gonna do, I'm going to give you a little bit of how-to here. We practice the right relationship with God. We practice the right relationship with God. If your relationship with God upward is in, is in trouble, then everything else is going to fall apart. So one of the things I would encourage you to do is have the right mindset. When you relate to God, when you, when you go about any second of your day, have the right mindset. I want to give credit to the person that opened my eyes to this, but I can't remember. But at the beginning of Jesus teaching us how to pray, you think the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, he says three things that are the perfect way to get our mindset right as we relate to the Lord. This is what he says. He says, pray then in this way. He says, our Father who is, in, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you pause and right there, and that's all you did all day was remember how God is holy, how God is in heaven and you are not, who God is, you would have a really solid day walking in the faith. But it doesn't stop there. He says, yes, remember that. But he says, your kingdom come. If all of the efforts that we put forth Right? I, I work in corporate leadership, and there's always, hey, make a vision, have a mission, have a purpose, share your purpose. It's all, it's all throughout that corporate leader. They do everything they can to get super close to what the Bible says, and they take a hard right and make it all about you. But the purpose that God's given us is think about his kingdom coming. How can I participate in his kingdom coming? What I want is his kingdom coming. And my purpose is to enable his kingdom coming, is to walk in a way that his kingdom coming I'm participating in his work to do that. That's a different way of thinking. And then the third thing he mentions is he starts teaching them on how to pray. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which takes all of our own self-will and chucks it and says, your will be done. As we make decisions, your will be done. As we think about how do I, do I take that job or that other job, your will be done. Do I serve in this place in church or this other place in church? Your will be done. Everything we do in this life would be better off if we had the right mindset. 
God is in heaven and I am not. Hallowed be his name. Lord, your kingdom come. Let me participate in that. Let all of my actions push that forward. And your will be done, not mine. On earth as it is in heaven. Having the right mindset. Another example of the right mindset comes from Paul's writing to the Philippians. This is Philippians chapter 3, 9 to 10. This is Paul's desire. We see his example of a mindset. He says, And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. His point there is that, that I could live so like Christ that the world treats me like they treated Christ. Not because of some desire to be beaten or hurt or any of those things, but because I look so like Christ, the world has no reaction other than to see Christ and how I act. But we don't stop with the mindset. We also then will have to depend on something. We depend on the Holy Spirit. We pray with reliance on the Holy Spirit. So you have the right mindset, and then you relate to God about it, meaning pray, which is the medium that God has given to us to walk right, as we've learned in Hebrews, in Hebrews, into his throne room, right there with him, and talk with him, and discourse with him, and cast all of our cares before him, and to listen to his instruction and how we should respond through his word. He's given us that medium. Have those conversations. He commands us that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to say, pray without ceasing. And that's that idea of having that regular discourse with God. Where am I? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Where is God? What is he thinking? What does he command me to do? Here's what's going on. Here's what I want, but I don't know if that's... What, you know, we see that lived out in any psalm. You go read the Psalms of David and you see that discourse take place in perfect pictures. But as we keep looking at how do we pray in reliance to the Holy Spirit... Paul says this to the Roman church. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And there's a perfect picture of walking by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. You're, I got it. But the Holy Spirit is in us and around us, pulling, pushing. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. He intercedes, intercedes for us on our behalf. He searches the hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit's right there helping us get it done. We walk by the Spirit. Another way to relate to God the right way is to practice thankfulness and gratitude. It's to stop and think. Um, we were in Hebrews chapter 3 a few months ago or weeks ago, um, and Dusty pointed out this really, it, it impacted me a ton. And he pointed out that whenever you struggle, whenever you're wondering, how do I follow God in this part in my life, either temptation or trial, he says, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Go back to that spot in your life where Christ saved you. Go back there. And practice gratitude for your salvation. And remember how you were dead and you had nothing. You couldn't save yourself. And remember how God saved you. And remember how he then empowered you. Like we're talking about this morning with the Holy Spirit. You go there. And then your next steps from that place will be in obedience. Go back to that spot. Go back to the beginning. Practice thankfulness and gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The, the 16, 17, 18 are those great verses. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we're practicing a thankful heart, we're going to relate to God right. That's how we walk by the Spirit. And then don't hinder the work of the Spirit. It's the only negative in my list. Do not hinder the work of the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, continuing the punchies, says, Do not quench the Spirit. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is, the God's, will for you. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't limit his work in your life. How do you limit his work in your life? Or in, you know, like Ephesians 4.30 says, how you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's by pursuing sin, by practicing sin, by going after something sinful that you've been tempted by and giving in. Don't do that. That limits his work in our lives. 
But not only do we practice the right relationship with God, if we're going to walk by the Holy Spirit, we're not going to make provision for the flesh. We also practice right relationships with others. I'll just share one passage in this section. It says, this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Remember, the first part of Colossians 3.16 was, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If we interacted that way, if that was our first reaction as a body of believers, whether it's through digital means like social media or emails or it's physical means like writing people letters and notes or it's interpersonal means like today. And we're going to have some time to fellowship between services. That the word of Christ has taught us with all wisdom and it's admonished us and then we're sharing those teachings and admonishings with another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're singing with thankfulness as we worship. Our relationship to others spurs us on to walking rightly before the Lord. So we walk by the Spirit in a way that we live for God and we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. We do that by relating to God the right way and relating to others according to his word. If we do those things, upwards we have the right relationship with God and outward we have the right relationship with people. You will walk by the Spirit. You are walking by the Spirit, I should say. But the rest of verse 16 says, why? Walk by the Spirit, why? So that you do not carry out or gratify the desires of the flesh. This idea of carrying out or gratifying is this idea of a task that you feel a need to accomplish or an obligation. It starts to speak to the idea of how does our flesh interact with us? Not the physical stuff, but the, the part of us that's yet to be redeemed. We're not glorified in Christ yet. That part of us that still provides sinful temptation. How does it interact? It makes it seem like there's something I have to do. Carry out the desires of the flesh. Those desires of the flesh are, we'll look at a little bit more in the next verse because it talks about a little bit more. But if you wanted to see the list, I'm not going to steal next Sunday's teaching. Just look at the next few verses in Galatians chapter 5. You'll see a not exhaustive but representative list of what it is that you could possibly be pursuing. But, it, but it's your own sinful desires. We still have that aspect. We're free. We don't have to live that way. But we still have that aspect. But the promise to us is that if we walk by the Spirit, we won't. That flesh is our human nature. It's that part that's yet to be redeemed. We talked about that. In Galatia, they were tempted to rely on their works. They were tempted to rely on circumcision. They were tempted to rely on um, anything they could do themselves. And Paul corrected that. Is it possible that today we are tempted to rely or find satisfaction in the same list of works? Maybe not circumcision, that is not the point. But, um, but a list of spiritual works, things I can do. You might think, I had, you know, on Sunday mornings you're going to get asked this question. It's probably already happened a few times. How'd your week go? Right? I mean, that, that's a very common good question. If we're going to be relating to one another, the teaching of God's word and how, he's and how he's impacting us, that's a great question. Uh, answers can sometimes be things like, and you could possibly be thinking, well, I read my Bible a lot this week, which is a good thing. Or I prayed well this week, which is a good thing. But notice our heart's desire to justify whether or not we define the week as good or not. That's my point. Your heart's initial inkling, your, your flesh's desire to say, my week was good is based on how did I behave? Did I do the godly things? Did I do the sinful things? My answer is based on what I did. If we're going to walk by the Spirit, your answer is not based off what you did. The answer is based on what is God doing in my life and how am I reacting to that? What is the Holy Spirit doing in my life and how am I doing it following that? That's where the, that's where the answer of did you have a good or holy week come from? The awesome part is that that holy week isn't dependent solely upon us, right? Remember, we're sealed and dwelled, filled by the Holy Spirit. We're not left alone. But it's, it's also not a, oh, well, now that I know that, life is easy scenario. Because verse 17 comes right after verse 16, and it spells out something called a conflict which is where we're going to look next. But I have a reminder for us is to remember in this battle, in this conflict, there's not a neutral between walking by the Spirit and carrying out the desires of the flesh. There's not a, a medium. There's not a, I can take a break. There's, that doesn't exist. 
You're either walking by the Spirit or you're pursuing your own sinful desires. It's an either-or, but there's a, a hope in that reminder too. It's never at the same time. You never have to be confused. I'm either walking by the Spirit or I'm carrying out the desires of the flesh. We're never confused. It's either one or the other. So we need to make it a point to consistently and often renew our minds. Start back at your salvation because you'll find so much hope and joy and enthusiasm there because of what God has done in your life. And then move forward into everything he's taught you in his word since then. And we need to deeply believe with certainty that the Holy Spirit indwells you. We need to believe that. Remind yourself of that. Know that intimately. I don't speak fluently any other language than English, but I remember one lesson from Spanish, and it's the word to know. For whatever, for, not for what, that's wrong. For a good reason, Spanish has two words for the verb to know something. One of them is to know it as a fact. Okay, great. I know that, you know, doors open, I walk through them, I know things. Okay, great. Another one is to know it so intimately that it changes your entire being. To know it that deep. That's what I mean by know and believe with certainty that the Holy Spirit indwells you. You're not alone. But I told you the path isn't all roses after that. But there's still hope. Look at verse 17. It says, For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So we see that word desires for the third time now, once in verse 16 and twice in verse 17. The word desire, Craig defined it last week, we'll define it again. It just means a strong craving for. The key to understanding is it good desires or bad desires is a craving for what? And we see in this verse, we see that a great opposition set up. The flesh has set its desires against the spirit. The flesh's desires, that human nature to pursue sin, sets itself up directly against the spirit. The Spirit's desires for us, the commentator uh, Hendrickson puts it this way, the Spirit's desire for you is he's that constant, effective, and beneficent influence which the Holy Spirit exercises with the hearts of God's children, whereby, this is his hope, they are being directed and enabled more and more to crush the power of indwelling sin and to walk in the way of God's commandments freely and cheerfully. That's the Spirit's desire, that we would walk in God's commandments freely and cheerfully. But there is a great conflict that exists between those two parties. The best passage of scripture to go to see how that conflict feels is Romans chapter 7. When he has Paul when Paul explains his conflict with the flesh. And you can see how it feels to us on the flesh side of it. So look at Romans chapter 7 verse 15 and following. This is how Paul describes how it feels to battle the flesh. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. It shows us our sins. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. And he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Hendrickson describes this conflict as a lifelong tug of war, the pull of the flesh and the pull of the Holy Spirit. And so right now at that moment, you should feel like, ooh, who wins? Who wins? Is it, is it? the cool thing is the answer is said in verse 25, right? So look and can keep going, keep reading. Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. Therefore, verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That conflict is one, past tense, in our positional salvation in Christ. That, conflict, that conflict of sin versus spirit can be won because you have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. 
One of the biggest impressions this passage left on me is that I have the Holy Spirit standing in opposition to my flesh. He's standing there opposing the desires of my flesh. And if I just embraced that more and more and more every day, how awesome would that be to walk by the Spirit, to know that that conflict exists, but to know that the person standing in opposition to my flesh is not me. The person standing in opposition to my flesh is the Holy Spirit. We can have victory. The commentator James Montgomery Boyce says, naturally the flesh is to become increasingly subdued as the Christian learns by grace to walk in the spirit, but it is never eliminated. So the Christian is never released from the necessity of consciously choosing to go in God's way. Never in this life is an important caveat to put on the end. When Christ returns and he glorifies us and he finishes his work to complete us in himself and he gives us that new body that the end of Philippians chapter three talks about by his power, Sin is done. The battle is won. But in this life, we can't ignore the conflict. So at this point, we know we can have victory. But the weight of that battle should feel pretty big. It should feel pretty big in that conflict. But remember, the opposition to our flesh is not solely us. Yes, we fight. Yes, we walk. But the opposition of our flesh is not solely us. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have our third instruction, which is chapter verse 18 of Galatians. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is what it takes to have hope in this conflict. Just remember, I'm walking by the Spirit, verse 16, but I'm also led by the Spirit, verse 18. The way you're led by the Spirit is showing a heart of dependence. A couple examples to illustrate that heart of dependence. When you're in a trial, think of Psalm 23, verse 4. What does that say? It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a pretty clear description of a hard trial. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you're in temptation, can you have hope? Yes. What does 1 John chapter 1, 7 to 9 say? It says, but if we walk in the light, like we're talking about, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But remember, there's this battle, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you also have a verse like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That I love the way it starts. Is that no temptation has come over you, but such as is common to man. Not that has been somehow orchestrated to be the worst thing ever and you can never win. It does not say that. It's common to man. And then I love the next part. It's God who provides the way of escape. It's God who is faithful to do that. So what does it look like to be led by the Spirit? That word led is to, in the, the Greek lexicon, uh, uh, BDAG says to lead, guide morally or spiritually. To lead, to encourage in the direction of something. To frequent, and is frequently referencing the working of the Holy Spirit. So to be led, to be guided morally or spiritually. So if we think about this, this is the Holy Spirit side of that process. We walk by the Spirit, but He leads us. And in that leading, it encompasses a whole range of things. It goes and encompasses it all from the one side of a little bit of influence in our lives called guiding us to in the middle where he's our loving father, right? And the Godhead is then interacting with you to encourage you and if necessary to dis discipline you. And then on the far right-hand side as our all-powerful leader, we have that Holy Spirit leading us. So how do we place ourselves in a position to be led? How do you do that? We talked about how do we walk? We relate to God rightly with the right mindsets, right relationships with others, and we relate to others rightly. But how do I put myself in a position to be led? And James says it really well in chapter four of his letter. He says, but he gives a greater grace in verse six. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We humble ourselves underneath the leadership of of God. Verse 7 of, chapter James, of James chapter 4 says, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you hearts, you double-minded. 
humble yourself before the mighty hand of God is how we put ourselves in a position to be led. MacArthur said this in his commentary. He says, believers do not need to pray for the Spirit's leading because he's already doing that. They need to pray for willingness and obedience to follow his leading. That's what we need to do. We need to lay our lives down, lay our will down at the feet of the Holy Spirit and ask for his leading and strength to take over. This morning, Paul's instructed us in three key ways. The first instruction come out of verse 16 was to be resolute in following his commands. Walk by the Spirit. There's no neutral. Walk, go, do. The second instruction he gave us was to be realistic in understanding the conflict that's in us. Yes, that lifelong tug of war exists, but remember the Holy Spirit is the one that's standing in opposition to your flesh and embrace him. And then the third instruction was to be reassured in remembering grace. You're led by the Spirit and you are not under the law. You're under grace and take hope in that. In summary, every believer lives obediently for Christ by the Holy Spirit through his leading and power. So I have two invitations for you as we close this morning. One is to take to heart that idea of knowing deeply, know deeply with certainty that the Holy Spirit indwells you and he blows you and and imbues you with knowledge and power to do the things of God and not of the flesh. You have the Holy Spirit on your side. And then the second one is to walk proactively, daily, in whatever intraday period of time you want to think about, minute by minute, second by second, phrase by phrase of your thoughts, but proactively walk daily in the way that God's word has instructed us in dependence fully on the Holy Spirit, not on yourself. Pray with me, please. We'll close. Lord, your word is so powerful. And it, as promised, like a, like a double-edged sword, goes straight down in the very depths of us. And it shows us where if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we have to submit and lay our will down and follow your leading. And Lord, we pray that that's how you would work in our lives today. Work powerfully in our lives today. Show us, Lord, the places where we depend on ourselves to make ourselves right before you, which is ridiculous and sinful. And Lord, help us to be humbled, to walk before you in soul dependence on the grace that you have given us, on the faith that you have provided to us through your Holy Spirit, on the salvation that you have acted in us. And Lord, let us have the right relationship with you and the right relationship with others as we walk by the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.